Hello and welcome to another episode of the Data Center Frontier Show podcast. Um, For any uh, fans of the site and podcast who uh, might have uh, feared that the inmates have been running the asylum uh, here for the last uh, several months, the doctor is back in the house. David Chernikoff uh, and I are here with uh, Rich Miller as our guest. Hello, Rich. Hey, Matt. Hey, David. Uh, good to be here. Good to be here. Yes, very nice to see your familiar face here uh, with us. We have a uh, list of things that we'd uh, like to uh, discuss with you today uh, in terms of uh, all things uh, data centers and uh, within the industry. But uh, first of all, uh, you know, how, how has your uh, life been uh, so far as uh, editor-at-large? Uh, of course, uh, your articles uh, keep coming in, uh, very popular on the site, but uh, how has uh, how has life been as editor-at-large? Um, well, I'm enjoying it. Uh, so uh, now that, uh, uh, that uh, you're kind of, as editor-in-chief, looking over the daily uh, news flow on the site, it uh, uh, leaves me a little bit more time to uh, explore in, in more depth some topics, and that's part of what uh, we've been doing with the topics we've been writing about. A uh, good example was looking at the, the power situation in Northern Virginia, uh, not just the constraints we have today, uh, but what's going to be required to support the growth that is really already in the pipeline in the form of contracts that uh, Dominion Energy has uh, for power. And of course, the big uh, issue there is transmission lines. That's the real constraint on uh, data center power delivery right now. Uh, it, it, you can build uh, local lines and uh, and even uh, substations much more quickly than you can uh, transmission uh, at uh, the uh, regional level. But that's really where the, the uh, bottlenecks are right now. So uh, that's an interesting story because in a part from the resistance that you see in parts of Northern Virginia to data center construction, there's also really high sensitivity to new power lines. So a a lot to unpack there. And that's the kind of story that I I enjoy doing. Uh, It takes a little while to to dig through the the documents and understand all the perspectives uh, on it. And, uh, you know, that's uh, the the kind of thing uh, we've been working on. Thought it was a tremendous uh, news uh, story uh, for for our site, uh, but before we uh, got on the line here, uh, David uh, was uh, David. You were expressing another uh, type of uh, current event, data center industry current events uh, story uh, happening down uh, in the uh, neighborhood of uh, Virginia. Did you want to uh, propose that sure, again uh, for us here? Sure, I, I, I brought up some questions about. Uh... Align data centers pulling out of the uh, the whole the quantum loop issues down in Maryland because of an inability to get approval for what they considered sufficient permission to install backup generators. Um, they basically asked for the entire kit and caboodle. They asked for approval for their entire planned development rather than, uh, as Rich pointed out to me earlier, rather than just starting with the permitted the, the permitted seventy watts, seventy megawatts that could have started with, and then built up as they went along. Um, so the question becomes, you know, is this really going to be the the, I guess, the future of how large scale data center projects are going to have to be? Are we going to need to see uh, more 
focus put on dealing with permission to build. You know, it's not like you can you can do it and then ask and then beg forgiveness. And uh, I mean, one thing I didn't bring up is: Are we going to see a more um, structured uh, data center lobbying effort with, with on, the, on the local level beyond what, say, the DCC currently does? I, uh, so to start with that last one, I think the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, as an example of that, uh, just today, EdgeCore Digital Infrastructure, who I've written about e uh, recently, uh, hired a full-time executive, uh, senior VP level, to be their uh, you know, director of community engagement. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, the DCC, the Data Center Coalition, uh, has been, uh, you know, at work on some of these issues. But their their uh, you know um, mo is really to kind of work behind the scenes uh, and uh, uh, work with uh, uh, local officials on helping them understand the benefits of data centers and work through some of the the issues to deployment. Uh, I think lately they've started doing some public service you know placements in in local media to um, help the industry tell its story a little better. But I think we're going to see just about every data center company realizing the importance of, first of all, doing their research uh, on the, the full range of permits and permissions that they're going to need uh, to build these mega scale campuses. They're getting bigger. Uh, and when you, you know, to your point, when you come in and ask for 168 generators, or you're talking about a 2000 acre you know, data center campus, that's not something that, that all of these, you know, uh, local, uh, uh, you know, boards have have dealt with whether it's at the the supervisor level at the uh, the town or county or you know the uh, uh, the state level with things like the uh, uh, the air quality board that wound up being the the key player in the aligned uh, drama. Uh, I think it's uh, helpful to step back a little bit uh, because I think this is an important uh, strategic discussion about. Uh, as campuses, as data centers get supersized and campuses get enormous, uh, they they bring different challenges, and I think they require uh, a depth of planning uh, that's really uh, seen with uh, the situation here in Maryland. So the first thing to know is that Maryland was eager to have the data center industry. They specifically passed incentives uh, that would uh, make them more competitive with Virginia, they saw that uh, Northern Virginia was getting super crowded. Uh, a lot of communities aren't keen on data centers and they thought, well, hey, we've got lots of uh, resources up here in Frederick County. Let's let's see if we can uh, you know, bring some of these folks across the river. Uh, and based on that, uh, the quantum loophole team uh, found this site. It's a former Alcoa smelting uh, plant, uh, aluminum plant there. Uh, so, uh, in a way, this is an economic development dream where you have a large company coming in, taking over an unused site that had been previously been a huge employer and now is bringing, you know, the, the new economy in atop the footprint of the old. Uh, but um, and, you know, uh, that has involved uh, uh, some investment. I was at the the groundbreaking for the uh, uh, the quantum loophole campus there in uh near Frederick. And, uh, you know, there were lots of local officials there at the, the the township and county level, certainly. And they were thrilled to have them there and very enthusiastic about the project. 
as it's progressed, some of the, the neighbors, uh, not so much. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion. I do know that the quantum loophole team was would, would go to community meetings. They'd spend a couple of hours talking with folks and answering their questions. Um, Aligned was one of the first big companies to come in. Now, what's worth talking about in terms of enabling this kind of campus is it's not just, hey, we got some land. We, there's a lot of power here. Everybody come in. The key element for a lot of data centers is fiber. And uh, a key component, uh, both strategically and from an investment perspective, is that quantum loophole needed to have a connection to the Northern Virginia uh, data center cluster in Ashburn, in data center alley, uh, which is not that far as the crow flies. But to get fiber there, uh, they wound up you know, digging a tunnel Pouring a tunnel underneath the Potomac, uh, an expensive and time-consuming project that they're in the the, the late stages of now. Uh, that's a big investment, and all that was done with the expectation that Maryland wanted data centers, the local folks want data centers, and we've got the the makings for this. Uh, you know, they describe it as the vision as a data center city that's custom designed, purpose built around the needs of these massive hyperscale developments. Well, as David noted, the, the, uh, the challenge became when Aligned uh, came in and uh, had to ask for uh, permission to uh, put diesel, diesel generators at the site. They did ask for 168, which is, you know, it, it works out to more than 400 megawatts of uh, backup generator capacity. Um, you know, often people will, you know, they they might ask for, you know, like the first phase of a project, clearly aligned, wanted some clarity on their runway for the total project. And I think the uh, the, the Maryland State Board that was uh, uh, hearing the request for the generators uh, pushed back really hard, uh, even though the, the state supported it, the governor sent a letter of support for the aligned proposal. And uh, they wound up saying, hey, you know, uh, the final ruling was effectively, you can have up to 70 megawatts, uh, but beyond that, you, you know, have to follow this other process, essentially saying, you know, beyond that, you're kind of more like a power plant than a data center with, with backup uh, uh, energy. The, I think one of the issues was is any of, will all of this capacity ever be turned on all at once? Uh, and obviously with diesel generators, that's a lot of emissions. So, you know, the air quality boards are, are wrestling with, on the one hand, you have a large company that wants to bring in a lot of uh, investment, a lot of jobs. Uh, the flip side of it is it's a lot of diesel at a time when uh, we're starting to see the the growing effects of, of climate change and everybody's trying to think about, um, you know, how we deal with fossil fuel uh, generation. So uh, the bottom line is Aligned pulled out um, and uh, said, hey, look, this is just not working. The governor of Maryland, understanding the issues, you know, at stake and the amount of investment that, that uh, has already been brought there, uh, says that he is working with the legislature to try and, uh, I think the word they're using is create some regulatory predictability for the data center industry. Uh, because, uh, you know, if not, it's like uh, th that's a, a large development and it uh, 
uh, it used to be that 70 megawatts was a <laughs> was a lot of capacity uh, with uh, the way the industry is going right now. That's not so much. If, if uh, you're a poker player, you know, they call that betting on the come, betting on the on, on the fact that everything's going to be aligned when you get to the point where you need it. And for the data center industry, that's pretty much been the case. You know, that they made their investment, things fell in line, the government got in, in line, everybody decided, oh, yep, data center, great idea. Do you think that the industry as a whole now is going to have to rethink their approach to this? Are they going to have to get everything permitted, all their ducks in a row before they stick that first spade in the ground? Well, look, I think one of the things that's definitely going to happen is that it's going to you look, there's a lot of factors that go into site selection. You're looking at, you know, land, fiber, power, uh, the regulatory environment around it, and, and whether there's uh, going to be local resistance has become part of the conversation, and rightfully so. Uh, uh, the flip side of that is that data centers have to think hard about their impact on the communities where they're locating and try to develop sort of sensible policies about how they, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, can be good neighbors and uh, fit into the communities where they're operating. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if, if you're building a, a really, you know, big ass data center campus somewhere uh, right now, you're going to think about what the, uh, the backup generation options are and what the attitudes are going to be when you seek permitting for, for these. Because, you know, um, right now there's, there's a lot of, there's a, a growing number of options with diesel, with sort of uh, a cleaner replacement fuels, which is probably the first step of moving beyond diesel. But the sort of next level of, you know, internet scale uh, backup uh, power is really not quite, you know, ready for prime time in, in terms of scale and cost. Uh, we're getting closer to some of those solutions. Uh, but for right now, you know, diesels are, are going to be a, a part of the discussion. And that means that you've got to think about what happens when you ask for a bunch of diesel generators from whatever, uh, you know, board is uh, approving those. Hey, Rich, as long as we're talking about uh, these kinds of uh, issues uh, down in that neck of the woods, can we uh, take it uh, back across the state line into Virginia and get a refresh of your thoughts on the Prince William uh, digital uh, gateway uh, situation, which, uh, as you noted to me, is headed for a rezoning hearing? Sure. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar with the, the digital gateway, this is one of the most unique proposals in the history of the data center industry. It would be the largest data center project ever proposed. I think it's at about you know 22, it's over 20 million square feet of capacity uh, between uh, uh, QTS data centers and Compass data centers. Um, but this is, and of course, it's become an enormous political hot potato. It's the first time where we've really seen data centers on the ballot in local elections. And I can talk more about that in a second. But the context for that is that um, this was a situation where, um, you know, it's not a master plan business development by some large developer. This was 200 local homeowners that owned land uh, in uh, uh, Prince William County all got together and say, hey, let's let's sell our land to the data center industry. Uh, the reason they wanted to do that is because the land values uh, in Prince William County have been driven higher by 
uh, data center land acquisitions and land banking, just as previously happened in Loudoun County and, and particularly in Ashburn. Uh, I think the you know prices for an acre of land went from about you know three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars to now it's over two million dollars an acre in some parts of Prince William County for prime land that could be developed as a data center. So this was a bunch of neighbors getting organized, getting together, asking the county to uh, approve this. Uh, uh, it's two thousand acres of land all told for data center development. The issue is that this was outside of uh, the area that the county had designated uh, the data center overlay, uh, which is a little further south in Prince William County. Uh, the challenge for the data center industry was that the, the properties that were remaining there are smaller. And now <laughs> people want 2,000 acres sometimes for their data center developments. Um, one of the hot button issues here has been that the land is right next to the uh, the Manassas National Battlefield, where the Battle of uh, the Second Battle of Bull Run was fought, so it's very sensitive uh, in terms of its historical uh, ties. Uh, there's a lot of concerns about, you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's a lot of open land, uh, and or it's an area called the Rural Crescent that used to be set aside for, you know, ten plus acre plots. Uh, theoretically for farming, uh, I think a, a fair percentage of the, the homeowners there are, uh, you know, folks who have some money and wanted to have, you know, uh, big, uh, large houses on large plots of land. So um, there has been intense back and forth uh, about the, uh, it's become very controversial, a lot of heat from an array of uh, local environmental and community organizations have been campaigning really hard to deny the uh, uh, the the applications or to to fight the applications. Uh, the process required a an adjustment to the uh, uh, the whole master plan for the county, uh, and between that and the planning process, the it's given us a sense of. The political dynamic, which was that the Board of Supervisors in Prince William County uh, approved the, the master plan change, which was sort of a reflective of support for the project by a 5-3 vote. Uh, and uh, so it seemed like there was a lot of support there. Uh, what has you know wound up happening is there was an election November 7th, uh, but even in the primary before that, uh, the woman who had been the, the chairman of the board of uh, supervisors was voted out of office uh, and lost to a, a candidate in the primary who had come out against the project and against data center development in general. So now we're in a situation where, you know, the, there's been some political support for for uh, you know, folks who want to slow down data center development and particularly this project. But in the meantime, the existing board has a lame duck session through the end of the year in which they are apparently going to hear uh, the key rezoning applications for QTS and Compass for this. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a, an interesting study in uh, this is a project that's been in the works for a couple of years now. Uh, and the developers, QTS and Compass and, and some of the landowners are like, hey, you know, what's your process? Do do applicants get a timely hearing on these kind of things? 
meanwhile, a lot of the community groups and environmental groups are saying, let's wait for the new board, uh, particularly since some voters clearly aren't keen on data centers and let them make this decision. So, you know, I think a lot of folks think that uh, uh, this December 12th hearing uh, might follow the the uh, the sort of you know voting template that we've seen in earlier discussions. It remains to be seen whether any of the the supervisors are going to rethink this. The planning commission uh, recently suggested that uh, they held a hearing and voted that they're going to recommend that the supervisors deny the the rezoning applications. Yeah. Uh, effectively, they're saying, "Hey, we still don't. There's still not enough." questions that have been answered so do you think the project is is in doubt i mean is it an if not when or i mean you know if you could look in the crystal ball or is that why it's a story because we don't know what's going to happen well i think i don't think we know i i i think there's uh uh there's um, some folks have expectations that the the current board might still pass the the, the project but if they do, I, you know, clearly uh, uh, the folks uh, are going to look to see if they can still unwind that in the next phase of the process. Might be difficult, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the hearings for both the planning commission and the supervisors have literally been overnight hearings. There was a 24-hour hearing for the planning commission. There was a 17-hour hearing for the supervisors. So the folks, the the depth of commitment uh, and resistance is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's that's worth noting is that uh, there's lots of people who are showing up at these uh, uh, these meetings and uh, voting in support of the project or urging support of the project. For for one thing, as we know, data centers create uh, a lot of tax revenue that can be used to uh, you know, offset uh, local property tax rates uh, and support schools. I mean, Loudoun County, uh, you know, Buddy Reiser and some of the uh, the director of economic development there will, will tell you that it's been, I think they're well over $600 million in annual revenue uh, from various data center taxes right now. And that underwrites a lot of, uh, a lot of things and, and takes pressure off the, the county budget on other fronts. So, Hot yeah, button issue. Said, Buddy, Buddy Reiser said from the podium, uh, he pointed out that in other parts of Virginia, I think he's talking about down near Richmond, you know, the exact quote was they want what, uh, you know, we already have up in uh, Loudoun County. Um, but uh, so uh, as long as we're uh, talking about uh, current events and uh, we're blowing through a half hour here, so this, this might be the last thing that we touch on on the podcast, uh, short of uh, getting you back uh, for a guest sometime, maybe in uh, 2024. But uh, there was a news item uh, recently that uh, we covered uh, on Data Center Frontier. Uh, David wrote the article about with uh, Flexential and Cloudflare, a uh, big outage in uh, Hillsborough, uh, Oregon, uh, kind of an event uh, in terms of a data center uh, outage that affected Cloudflare. Uh, there was a blog uh, written, and uh, you indicated uh, to me that uh, you thought it highlighted uh, the usefulness of uh, incident reports, uh, both to customers and to the uh, industry at large. Did you could you unpack uh, those uh, um, perceptions? Sure. 
I mean, one of the things that, that was interesting about this is that there was a very sort of public detailing of what happened, including, you know, both Cloudflare saying, hey, we, we learned some things uh, about what we got uh, wrong. And here's some things where we think Flexential dropped the ball. Um, I'm a big fan of incident reports. Um, Cloudflare has a long history of, uh, of doing incident reports when they have outage and explaining what happened, why, what they learned about it and what they're gonna do differently. Uh, several other companies in the industry also do this, uh, most prominently Amazon Web Services, uh, which uh, has, some of theirs are very long and fascinating because they can show you how particularly automation uh, can uh, really, uh, you know, create some unexpected consequences sometimes. Uh, and I think it's just a, a good way for, uh, the data center customers and the and the, the the community to learn about what's going on, uh, what happens in a failure, what we can learn from it. Uh, I think this has always been a big theme of internal discussions at industry conferences. You guys have been to seven by twenty four. Uh, there's almost always good discussions there about uh, you know uh, failure and what we can learn from it. Uh, and I think that that's something that was. Uh, that was really interesting to read through the, the support and say, here's what went sideways, particularly for folks who are doing high availability. Cloudflare supports uh, a boatload of sites around the, the world. It's a, it's a very, I don't know what the numbers are now. They support a lot of folks. It gets noticed when their stuff breaks, like the, the control plane for, uh, you know, managing uh, uh, the sites. Uh, the... You know, the, the, what the report said was that the, the Flexential data center lost power entirely, uh, which, is, uh, which is never a happy thing for the, the a data center operator. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Flexential has indicated that they're going to do a, a similar sort of public report. But I think one of the inter interesting things that came out of it is like uh, when you have sophisticated customers that are, you know, David made the point that you got to test everything. You're going to know your high availability mode, and you really have to uh, understand uh, what's going to happen when things start to fail. I think one of the things this highlights is sort of the need for communication during incidents. Uh, one of the things Cloudflare said is, hey, we had a utility feed fail. Part of the facility was running on generators. Uh, we didn't know about that at the time. And if we had, we might have thought of doing something differently with our uh, the most critical parts of our operation. Usually large uh, folks will think hard about their, their networking operations and, and what can be moved, uh, uh, can be shifted elsewhere to help prevent uh, the kind of outages that wound up happening. Uh, so I think that's one of the most interesting things that can come out of these kind of reports. And, uh, you know, Cloudflare certainly said that they're, you know, going to request different sort of procedures when there are, uh, 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 you know, sort of partial failures, I guess you could refer to it. And it's something for data center providers to think about too, is, you know, you know, maybe not all customers are created equal in this, uh, in this venue, but when you have folks who are doing high availability uh, things where they can shift workloads elsewhere uh, is what sort of scenarios uh, should they be notified about when they might have the opportunity to do so? Because letting people know after the whole facility has failed kind of, uh, you know, makes it hard to, uh, uh, you can't, you can't move much then.
tough situation. David, did you, since you wrote the story, any follow-up, any, anything you wanted to put in there or ask of Rich on this deal? Oh, I think you're on mute. I'm both on mute first. I, <clears throat> I think Rich made the obvious point. No matter what kind of policies you put in place to prevent this kind of thing, if you don't test them completely, you're going to have a problem. You know, we've all been in this industry a long time. We've written that story for 30 years, and it's still valuable because it still happens. It's it, it You have to test everything, period. You can't say this is good enough because there is no good enough. You have to test it all in situ, how it actually works, or you're going to have a problem like this. I think, as I said in the story, this didn't really have that much to do with Flexential. It could have happened with any data center because if this problem occurred, the 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 root cause beyond the power problem was that they hadn't tested their failover, their backup, their redundancy, and that you always have to do that. You think the uh, absence of uh, a lot of uh, trained uh, staff uh, at the time that came out in the Cloudflare uh, report was, uh, well, but what would that? What would, it significance? It, it it has a certain level of significance. Um, I mean, we all remember the incident where. Uh, Google had Google went down because nobody knew which book to open to find the right solution in the middle of the night to solve the problem that was easily solved once somebody who knew, you know, once they got an engineering who had done that before. So trained, trained staff can be the issue, but trained staff would not have been fully conversant with Cloudflare's problems and Cloudflare's software. Unless Cloudflare was going to put somebody there 24-7, it, it goes back to that same problem. Had Cloudflare fully tested their 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 redundancy the problem would have been that data center would have went down and everything would have slowed down but it would have been operational yeah and, and i think so that, it, go ahead go ahead Rick. no i was gonna i was gonna say I, i've seen those books <laughs> that that they go to in the in the uh the knock when they uh, are trying to figure out uh something and and look i think that the the question for for both levels of providers is are you delivering on your promises and and what do you need to do to ensure that you can and when you don't and let's face it stuff breaks stuff, uh, stuff happens and uh, the data center industry I think is fascinating because they people really think about failure modes and and what happens and customers need to do the same thing I mean and uh, to David's point, when Amazon has a failure, they always point out, hey, you know, we've got this availability zone set up and you can use this and here's how. And, and of course, that that requires a larger investment, but that's what comes down to, you know, the assessment that you make, uh, you know, based on, on what you're telling your customers or what's the value of making sure that you've got that option. Um, and, you know, sometimes it, it is hard to test like an entire facility falling off the internet, but that is the kind of thing that, particularly if you're you're uh, operating a large network, as folks like Google and Cloudflare do, uh, you know that that uh, you have to think about and and uh, and prepare for. But I mean, I think the good thing is is uh, the reason I like incident reports is it is it lets uh, uh, it it prompts discussion of how we uh, always can uh, you know the industry can always kind of keep working to um, meet the promises that they make to their customers, uh, you know, of, of uptime and always be thinking about the best ways to engineer around it. Because when you get big networks all over the place, 
the, the ability to move data around. It's a lot of capabilities, but it's a lot of complexity. And uh, sometimes things uh, behave as you expect, sometimes uh, sometimes not. And I think that's, uh, to, to David's point, is, is why you test and why you have to think about testing everything. Got it. Well, you know, I got a bag of questions. We've got a bag of questions for you, but we've only got about two minutes left. So uh, since uh, it's happening uh, this week, I wanted to take you to SC23 and uh, something that you posted on your LinkedIn uh, feed, Rich, about the uh, how you think the uh, MSFT cloud supercomputer ranking is uh, interesting, uh, as indicated from stuff that we're hearing in SC23. Uh, 23 in two minutes or less. <laughs> sure. Listen, the supercomputing conference is always a lot of fun. I've been in the past. Uh, one of the highlights of it is that they released the top 500 list of the world's most powerful supercomputers. Uh, it's great fun. The imagery of these systems is just phenomenal. Um, and historically, these have been large of, of supercomputers run by the national labs like uh you know, Oak Ridge and uh, Argonne are the ones with the, the big systems on this year's list. But then coming in, in third is Microsoft with a cloud-based supercomputer uh, running a bunch of NVIDIA uh, H100 uh, GPUs uh, in the cloud. I, I think it's the first time I can recall seeing uh, a cloud-based system rank anywhere near this high uh, in this list. And it's uh, a sign of, of how both the cloud and how AI are, are changing the types of computer architectures, where they live and how they're gonna be available to folks. You know, the notion that, that uh, uh, if you're not uh, directly connected to one of these, uh, uh, you know, national labs that you can just, you know, have a cloud account and be able to, to have access to some of these. Granted, you know, cloud, uh, you know, AI capacity is gonna be uh, plenty expensive too. But it's. Uh, I thought that was new and something uh, noteworthy, uh, and uh, and as always, I think it's a uh, it's a sign of how what the the large hyperscalers are doing are driving a, a lot of change and a lot of interesting stuff in the world. Thanks. We're gonna have to leave it there for today. Uh, Rich Miller, thanks for so much for coming back and joining us here on the DCF Show podcast. Mm -hmm.